Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today I'm speaking with director Xiaobao Li about her work, Once a Glacier, following the relationship between one girl and a glacier, talking about environmentalism and the ways that we interact with nature. My podcast, Ride the Omnibus, is parked at the intersection of pop culture and social justice. And I think that your immersive creation, Once a Glacier, is such a really great way of looking at that because it's so much about environmentalism and the experience of what ice means to people. And mm-hmm. so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about where this creation came from. Yeah, uh, so I live in Alaska for a year, and while living there, I go on glaciers every week and um, started this whole glacier series. It's amazing to see how gorgeous and beautiful they are, but also sad to see how fast they disappear. So my glacier series started from uh, like music and dance that are made from the glacier melting data in the past 16 years and collaborate with glacier sound and with the artists who uh, live in front of this glacier and witness their recession over their lifetime. Um, And then move towards some interactive installation uh, and photography and then come to this virtual reality film. And it was, I kayak to this glacier and bring back home a piece of ice and try to grow it in the freezer every day by watering it and then uh, also bring it out in the winter and uh, let the rain and uh, snow to grow it. And then I found out there's this uh, story uh, in the Himalayas that they believe there are um, genders in the glacier. You can marry a male glacier and female glacier and grow them uh, over 10 years for irrigation. Uh, and that's where the whole whole story is being inspired. Oh, wow. That's an incredible idea. One of the things that I think is so beautiful about the experience of your XR film is really being able to go through and experience these incredible sonics that are overwhelming. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the experience of how it was to record that sound and how it felt at the time that you were doing it. Yeah, so all the sound in the film are uh, we recorded live on the glaciers, uh, on real glaciers in Alaska. Different glaciers have different characteristics, which means that their sound is also very different. And like some are have more heavy uh, river and melting, some uh, has more of this chirping sound, which is a big part in the film where it's the sound of ice bubbling each other and the squeezing each other when the sun come out and you you don't hear it often we like you don't rarely encounter it and once we wait for that and do that we have the um, microphone tap into that to the surface and then we amplify it and uh kind of choreograph this chirping sound. And it's not it sounds like bird or forest, but it's it's simply just bubble. And there's no word in English to describe it. Um, but later we found out that in the indigenous language, Tagish both means the um, name of their tribe and also means the sound of the ice break up. And like that's like how uh, the language is shaping the way that we perceive nature and reality. And like in the Eskimo language, there are 50 words for snow, but English, there's only one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, we, there are 
places that we can reach, like certain glacier caves that are too dangerous to get in, and we throw um a hydrophone inside and pick up the sound uh, of the glacier melting there. And there are also glacier carving that are massive. Uh, so we we are on a boat, and there's only like very short certain time that we can get the roof with the boat, and we uh, hold a shotgun. A microphone to point to the glacier carving. And it's so important to be able to capture the sound with a lot of different kinds of technology and a lot of different means. It really comes across as a very cohesive experience in spite of all of that. Yeah. As a participant on the other side. Mm-hmm. And even this sound, like when you just like hike on the glacier, sometimes you don't notice them. Um, until like you, you uh, like realize, oh, that's, that's the tripping sound. It's right there beneath my feet. It's not the bird just fly by. Um, there's also this concept in the indigenous culture called deep listening. Um, you live together with it. You, you grow up alongside with it and you listen to the, the glacier, listen to the nature with this kind of like deep embodiment. And what fascinated me also is the kind of scientific and technology part of it, where there are these research going on that they try to kind of predict the uh, recession of glaciers through the sound of the chirping, because that can indicate the rate of this ice bubble breaking through the ice and then use that to kind of simulate how fast it's melting. Um, and also their AI algorithm try to understand all this, uh, either it's the melting or like what is the different sound happened there. And there's like, it's, it's like deep listening in the technology world coming together with the indigenous world. And I wonder how many indigenous collaborators were you able to work with on this project? So our uh, poem is written by Inupiaq poet John Kane and grew up among the glaciers in Alaska. And also uh, our voiceover, um, the the later part, the grandma part, it's also um, narrated by uh, Inupiaq. We, we call her grandma, our grandma. <laughs> and we learned so much new stories from her while uh, doing the recording. And some of them, we um, uh, make changes in our story as we go. Yeah, and we learned that like in the Inupiaq tradition, um, they believe that glaciers carry their memories through their sounds. And in the story, as these glaciers are disappearing, this kind of thing, song history are also disappearing. It's a very common theme when you talk about indigenous histories and indigenous languages and the history of sound. It's a very common thing for people to feel like all of those histories are being lost. And so... It must feel somewhat gratifying to know that you're reviving some of these traditions. Yeah, hopefully we're trying to. Um, I feel along the way, so we have s- several advisors that are from the indigenous culture in Alaska. And um, there's so many that are lost or not written form in written format. And if you're from different tribes, sometimes even you're, you're from the like similar tribe because these are not written, not well recorded. You don't know and you may disagree with each other. As kind of the person who's putting together the whole experience, how did you try to marry the visuals and the sonic components? What was your guiding principle as you were doing that? Hmm, good question. We we actually have the sonic first, and then we marry the visual, and then we tune the sonic according to the visual. So there's like this back and forth. Um, and the whole experience is being like t- have temp- this tempo through the, the poem. 
And there are two layers of the sound, the poem of the uh, the girl growing up to an adult woman and then to the grandma voice. And then underneath, it's the different kind of uh, formation of the glacier sound. Um, and we also have spatial sound. So for example, when the girl is spinning around you as she's uh, growing up, uh, you also have uh, the spatial sound of where the girl is talking to you. So it also leads you to where you should look at. And sometimes it feels like a whisper around your ear. Sometimes it's further there in the in the girl's kitchen. And in terms of exploring spatial sounds, I'm just very curious about how you create that sort of echolocation experiential piece. <laughs> it's such an unusual thing that I think not a lot of people are experimenting with in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, our uh, sound artist, Matt Markarko, is amazing. Uh, <laughs> like, um, you know, we record on the glaciers the way that, like, like we, we play with so many different ways of recording. Sometimes it's like me just completely hugging the glacier and, like, I'm all over it. Um, and sometimes, like, we, we record, like, crampon scratching it. So it's not only just the, the glaciers on sound, but also us interacting with it or, like, the way how we point to uh, these different glaciers. So even at the recording stage, we try to create the spatial experience already. And then we add more to that coming to the VR experience. Uh, kayaking throughout, it's interesting to uh, listen to how he describing the whole experience of hiking on the glacier through the sonic aspect. Um, it's already a lot of visual and tactile feeling to take in, uh, but like if you close your eyes, hike on the glacier, of course, that's, that's, that's not safe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's like the sound of you crashing the erratics, the kind of black erratics at, at the beginning. And then at some p- part, um, the erratics become larger, um, or at some part, it's more muddy and there's water sound coming in. And there's a lot of water coming in as you are like closer to where the glacier are melting through the river. And then you hop on uh, as you go, maybe like several hours. Sometimes it's like a whole day and then you enter the icy area and you put on the crampon, you walk on it, sometimes climbing, sometimes with all your body climbing there. Um, and you hear the crunching sound of crampon. Yeah, all of that. And sometimes we play with like throwing certain snow, certain erratic into different parts of the glacier to create a variety of different sounds. Wow. I'm so jealous right now of that experience <laughs> because that's that's one of those things that I have always wanted to do and never been able to do. Mm. <laughs> it sounds absolutely magical. Mm. And I feel like going on there with or without microphone and a headset, it's also different. Like the experience of recording mm. it amplified the sonic part. Yeah. Where like comparing to uh, before I do the recording, it's a totally different experience. Yeah, of course it would be. Like anytime you document something, you change it, right? It's always that thing. But then I also wonder, so much of this piece is also about environmentalism and the importance of glaciers in terms of our land and our water and our systems of life on the planet. How have you felt about how people have received it in that light? Mm. Do people come out crying (laughs) or about to cry? It, and and some people haven't think about glacier or haven't been on glacier or even care about glacier ever 
but then seeing it, it kind of bringing more knowledge and education and changing the perspective of how they view this mighty nature being, but are so vulnerable that are going to disappear soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that kind of fundamental educational and perception change is the essential part to make any behavior change. Probably for artwork, it's usually hard to measure what exactly behavior change they do afterwards. But I hope that's the beginning that they they try to realize that. Although some people really want to go to glaciers and see them at last sight before they disappear, that will add some like travel carbon footprint. Yeah, (laughs) unfortunately, that might not actually be the best thing for the planet. (laughs) I wonder if you consider doing like an impact campaign with this to specifically Mm -hmm. bolster the effect that it has on people's measurable behavior afterward. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I did an exhibition with Epoch Gallery, and it, it's an online digital space. And we that, that's like a start. We, we bundled all the works around glaciers and climate change and uh, sell them as like one NFT. And then 15% of the, the sale goes to Cook in like Keeper. It's an NGO in Alaska that uh, work on climate and indigenous culture related initiatives. Um, So that's the beginning. Uh, I would love to have more campaign around this topic, saving the glaciers, uh, climate actions that maybe like some are partnered with with NGOs, some are partnered with um, the Alaskan politicians to really bring some more policy change. And Alaska is so much of the financial part coming from the oil industry. And like these oil extraction are not far away from where the glaciers are. And um, some fundamental policy change will be great. Yeah, it would. And it's it's so hard to advocate for those things when so much of the money to do so much is coming from oil at the same time as you're trying to make all of this change that really says that this is not the greatest for our land and our people. And so trying to balance those things is a lot simpler when you immerse people in a world that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like artworks like yours are the better way to change the world, just because they force people to reckon with something that they maybe haven't experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I think here in VR, especially, um, it increased this embodiment and like really put you into the situation of after this glacier is gone, where the world is. Like it's in a museum, uh, in the glass box, just like all the animals that went on extinction, you put them in a museum box. And then later you become the glacier and you see how all these people walking around and feeling so careless about it. Um, and also it's, good as um, this contrast of scale, the beginning of this vast, majestic glacier comparing to, and it's, it's all, all over you and you kayak through it. And then comparing to later, it's like tiny, tiny, tiny in the museum. Mm-hmm. It's right there. You can't do anything with it. It's so powerful, I think, as a piece because it looks at all of these different perspectives and puts you in those shoes in a very specific way. What were the things about this particular project that you found most challenging? Mm. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's it's actually how to create recreate the feeling of being on a glacier. 
we tried so many different art style and um, uh, different models of glacier. And even now, like I still not satisfied with this glacier because <laughs> it's like this, that nature, the whole bodily experience of you spending so much effort to hike on it. Like sometimes trip yourself um, <laughs> here and there. I remember my, my, I got all this hurt and like this, like it's cold and you smell different things. Um, and all this bodily difference you can recreate in a VR headset that you wear in a film festival or sit at home mm-hmm. and, and with all this device on you and, um, still that like the resolution that like how much, like, so, so that's why we, we try to not make it as, as a documentary, but more like dark fiction so that we are not, we are not tr- really trying to recreate glacier, but, uh, we have that art part at the beginning, but the importance is the contrast of later how mm-hmm. this glacier has progressed. And um, it's through this story with the girl. Yeah. And that idea of connecting it to this dystopian vision that unfortunately is very much where we're headed is, I think, a really interesting way to conclude the piece. But you said that people actually cried when they were experiencing this. Did you have anyone who reacted negatively and said, oh, that won't happen? Uh, when I give a talk in Anchorage, Alaska, I got a question from a mom with a kid say, this is also sad, but where's hope? I think there's still hope. <laughs> I think that was a good question. Um, and there are artworks that are more um, talking about the positive side, um, actually in a lot of my animal multi-species uh, related works, um, like I, I talk about climate change, but more through, uh, kind of, uh, inspired curiosity and wonder point of view, other than the kind of climate fatigue point of view. That's all more on that side. But this piece, uh, there are some work can, can be pretty sad. Yeah. Well, it, it is. It, it's interesting. I also know someone who created a climate memorial garden where people mm-hmm. could go and mourn climate and what has happened to the climate and through different art installations, having people think about it in that frame of mind, I think is very effective for a lot of people and mm-hmm. works like yours really explore this space between the emotionally overwhelming nature of nature and then Mm -hmm. also simultaneously reckoning with the emotional fallout from that. And so Mm -hmm. I, it's a very interesting piece in terms of how it would hit different people different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it is actually happening. Like there are many glaciers that Mm -hmm. went on extinction. If we want to use the word that we use for animals or plants and uh, like in Switzerland, there's that glacier who, died and they made a memorial for the glacier, a tomb for the glacier. We've already bridged a lot of different kinds of divides in terms of your work. What are you looking at next? Yeah. uh, So in terms of the icy world, uh, I'm going on an artist in residence called Arctic Circle next spring, uh, where we'll be on a boat sail around Arctic Circle um, for uh, three weeks. And uh, I look forward to that, to, to create more works around glaciers and ice. Um, I'm also working with uh, Tencent to kind of rebrand their penguin. So their logo is a penguin. And um, 
it's like a 25 year old penguin actually living longer than the average age of the real penguin. Uh, and I've been talking to them that saying, educating people about penguin and how they are being endangered uh, because of climate change, because of ice loss uh, would be a great part too for this rebranding. So I'm also studying a lot of penguin around the world. Uh, so that's the icy part. And then also there's this thread I'm really excited about. It's um, uh, interspecies co-creation. Uh, I've been co-create uh, with the Hawaiian bobtail squid, octopus, and then now with mice and the bats in Austin to kind of try to recognize their intelligence, shift our perspectives and interrogate ourselves of this anthropocentric worldview. Uh, I'm also running a lab, the director of the Ecocentric Future Lab at uh, University of Texas in Austin, um, where we create various works around this theme. Oh, wow. That's exciting. That sounds fantastic. Thank you. When you talk about these things, do you feel like, okay, I'm I'm just going to ask it. Do you feel climate hope or climate despair personally when you're thinking through a lot of these things? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I feel it's like an up and down journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Work, working with glaciers, I, I feel it's a despair. Um, like how many times I cried hiking on glaciers and like looking through all this research behind the glaciers uh, and like looking through how um, like sometimes when we define a healthy glacier, it's that they don't, they won't disappear within our lifetime. Like it, we are so... So my so much myopia, so short term. Uh, but there's I think when when looking at other species and how they adapt and change from the climate, I think there's still some some hope there, some not that climate fatigue there. Okay. Well, it's really good to hear that because I always wonder when you're at that intersection between art and climate, how do you cope with the overwhelming emotions that come with that kind of work mm, sometimes uh so because a lot of a lot of the work is about like shifting perceptions um sometimes if like by focusing on more on the like the driven curiosity and wonder side maybe we can um kind of relieve us from the like talking about so much doom and gloom side of it um, like I actually just did a panel on animal influencers as a way out of climate fatigue at South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And like invited this um, uh, animal influencers uh, like Marlene Tato for bats, artist Virginia for the Luna moth, and Warren for the octopus. And a lot it's um, that these creatures are amazing. They embody, they have different senses that are different than us. They have like distributing intelligence that are different than our central government brain. Um, There's so many amazing things around them. Can we take actions to protect them? Uh, So that's like more actionable and uh, less likely to like drive people to become so like so sad and doom and gloom and don't know what to do. And that's that's always the question of how do you make sure that it radicalizes you rather than leading you to despair, making sure that people are thinking about actionable change. So that's a yeah. wonderful way to focus your efforts. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you so much for creating this work, because I think it's 
absolutely stunning. And what's next for the work itself? Where is it going next? Uh, it's uh, there are two upcoming exhibition in China in two museums, um, and I'm having two solo exhibition coming up. One in May, one in August. The first one is in Santa Fe, so they're going there. Yeah, and uh, eventually, so we are doing festival, film festival, and the museums, and then online distribution. Eventually, I hope more and more people can just watch it at home with their headset. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to see what happens as more and more people are exposed to this. I think that'll be really wonderful. Thank you so much for this interview and for sharing your time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, Take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money, we want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. (laughs) 